A couple of things I just want to point out in this passage. As I've been doing, I don't read the whole thing. Uh, If you've been following along, you are reading through the book of Acts along with us. This story in Acts 9 is very familiar. Um, It's been painted. It's been uh, memorialized in lots of different ways. It's been in movies. It's been when we talk about the scales falling off our eyes, that's a biblical reference to this story. Lots of people use that uh, that phrase of finally being able to see for what we are to see the reality as it really is. We're we're using a phrase taken from this story. It's about Saul, uh, who's better known as Paul. That's the, the the Greek name that's used because he does a lot of ministry to the Greek world, the Greek speaking world, but. His story begins in Acts 9. We were introduced to him uh, when Stephen was killed. But his story really gets going in Acts 9. You're given a little teaser about it. We kind of go back to Peter for a little bit. And then after Peter's story is done, we're with Paul, the rest of the book of Acts. And if you read deeper in the New Testament, you're with Paul a lot on his missionary journeys and letters that he is writing to all the people that came to Christ as a result Of his ministry. So his story, though, begins in Acts chapter 9. And I've entitled it An Unlikely Convert because he was indeed a very unlikely convert. The first two verses in chapter 9 give us the reason why he's he's an unlikely convert. But before we begin with his story, I want you to think about someone that you know. If you want to close your eyes, you can close your eyes and picture them in your head. Don't keep them closed too long. I know what happens. But picture them in your head. Someone you never thought would come to Christ. And they are following Jesus. Maybe you, you know that person. Maybe you are that person. And someone said that about you. That someone that you thought would never come to Christ and has. And maybe that was you. Or maybe you can think of somebody that you think there's no way that person's ever going to come to Jesus. They are so far from Jesus, there's no way it's going to happen. Get that image in your head. Because we're going to kind of blow that all apart this morning with Paul's story. It only takes two verses, the first two, to make two important points about this Jesus. This Jesus that chases after us, we sang about that. This this powerful, wonderful, amazing name of Jesus that has the ability to heal people, that has the ability to cast out demons, that has the ability to, the ability to change people's lives. This Jesus who, because of his grace, he is willing, rather than to show us condemnation or punishment, we receive forgiveness and redemption. That's exactly what's hap- going to happen in verse 1 and 2. At least that's where it starts. You've got to read the rest, and probably if you grew up in church, you know the rest of the story of Saul. The man who people never thought would probably give his life to Jesus. And here's one of the reasons why. Meanwhile, Saul, meanwhile, after all that's been taking place with the Christians, you know, in chapter 8, we started seeing some of that persecution. Stephen himself was stoned to death. And Saul, we are told, was there looking on approvingly. 
He was like, yeah, throw another one, yeah. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. People who love Jesus, the language that we have being used here is Paul, Saul at this point, his Hebrew name, is breathing out murderous threats. That's pretty bad. He hates this movement. That's pretty clear in just these two verses. In fact, he went to the high priest in Jerusalem and he asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. This was in a different town north of Jerusalem. So that when he went there, if he found any there who belonged to the way, that was the name they had given to the people who were following this Jesus of Nazareth, if he found any people that were following Jesus, whether men or women, he didn't care who it was, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. He was going there on a mission to arrest people and, if need be, stone people for following Jesus. That's Saul. That's who we're introduced to in chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. That's the guy, if you read the rest of the New Testament, that basically gave his life for the very person that he was fighting against in verse 1 and 2. Two points, because we pretty much know this story, two points I want to make out of verse 1 and 2 that are essential when we're thinking about what Jesus can do in people's lives. That sometimes maybe we forget if we've been following Jesus for a while, maybe it's, it's hard for us to remember what it was like before we followed Jesus. Or maybe we grew up in the church and we forget the power that the name of Jesus has. Paul's story, Saul's story, is a story about a guy who has sin greater than maybe all of our sin. Paul confesses that even in one of his letters. He's the foremost of all sinners. Out of all the sinners in the world, he is the greatest of all those sinners. And yet, he's received forgiveness and redemption from Jesus. Paul's story is a reminder to us that there is no sin too great that God cannot forgive that person. There is no sin too great for that person. And maybe someone said this to you. I've heard it said to me. There's no way God would accept me. He just doesn't know all that I've done in my life. My sin is too horrible. It's too great. There's no way God wants me. Paul's story is a complete rejection of that mentality. The man had just watched probably ecstatic over the fact that People were picking up stones and throwing them, at, throwing them at Stephen until he died from being pummeled with stones. He was celebrating that fact. In fact, he was looking for ways. He was breathing murderous thoughts, coming up with plans, getting letters, going to another town just so he could find one of these Jesus followers and throw him in prison. He didn't care who it was. Men, women, doesn't, doesn't matter. He hated these people, so much so that he was willing to kill them. I don't know. It doesn't say necessarily if Paul ever picked up one of those stones and tossed it at somebody. 
simply because they love Jesus. Our sin is not too great for the God we serve. And Paul's story is a reminder of that. If you know somebody who thinks that, use Paul's story to help them see that that hole that you've dug for yourself is not too deep for Jesus to throw that rope down and for you to grab hold of it and for him to pull you out of it. That's what Saul's story tells us. The other thing it tells us, this is just verse 1 and 2. If you've ever thought, there's no way this dude, this girl, is going to find Christ. There's there's no way they're ever going to follow Jesus. Do you see their life? Do you see what they do? They hate God. Here's another story. Well, you think again. That's exactly who Saul was. So much so that he was willing to murder people. So much so that he was going to a different town to arrest them, to do whatever he had to do to stop them. And if you were a follower of Jesus, that's the last guy you wanted to see or meet up with. And maybe you would have thought to yourself, there's no way that guy's ever going to give his life to Christ. If you've got that image of that person in your mind and you're saying that to yourself, I want to tell you, think again. Because when Jesus is in hot pursuit of somebody, he'll find them. And it doesn't matter how far they're trying to run, how lost they think they are, Jesus can change their life. And if you've identified with any of these statements, Saul's story is for you. Your sin is not too great for Jesus to forgive. You are not too far gone, not too lost for Jesus to find you. That's the terminology we use sometimes. When we, when we come to Christ, we say, well, I found Jesus. And the reality is, Jesus found you. That's what that second song we sang about, that love that God has that pursues us. Jesus is the one that comes and finds us. It doesn't matter how lost you actually are. The good news is you don't have to find your way out of the woods. Jesus comes, he finds you, and he leads you out of it. You can get pretty turned around in the woods. I think we've talked about that before. If you go hunting, if you got a cabin, if you go camping, you know how easy it is to get turned around. You can get pretty turned around. The good news is, this is why it's good news. Jesus comes and he finds you. And he takes you out. That's just verse 1 and 2 in Acts chapter 9. I mean, there's like 40-some verses in this thing. If you, forget not, if you forget everything else, remember these two points. This is Saul's story, and maybe it was yours, and if it wasn't yours, it might be one of those people you're thinking about. You don't realize, we as the church don't realize what Jesus can do in people's lives. In, uh, at National Conference this year, Larry Bentz, uh, it's credentialed as a, a pastor in our denomination. Larry was here to preach a long time ago. Larry leads a ministry called Triple Tree Ministry. It's a biker ministry. He ministers to, to bikers. 
And oftentimes he's ministering to 1% clubs. These are, are clubs that um, are pretty bad. They've got names like the Pagans. Like, and, and Larry's Jesus in those places. And we got to hear some stories of how Jesus showed up in some of their lives. The, the very, if we put a, all the pictures across the, uh, the wall here, you'd say, that dude's never coming to Christ. Jesus has one of his people right there talking to him, saying, hey, let me tell you about this, this good news. And some of those guys maybe are worse than Saul. But the story of Saul tells us that they're not too far gone for Jesus. Saul, the reason Saul's story is so powerful is because of the power of the gospel. Because as he's going to Damascus, it says in verse 3, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, onto Damascus, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they had to lead him by hand to Damascus. For three days, he was absolutely blind. And he didn't eat anything, and he didn't drink anything. Saul had his come-to-Jesus moment. And it would change his life forever. The very guy who had spent his, at least a part of his life that we read about, in rebellion to God. The superstar of Judaism that was willing to do whatever it took to stop these people who believed in Jesus as Nazareth from spreading their, their lies. It was that man who was blind in Damascus in his sin and his rebellion that God began to transform. And everything and every aspect of who Saul was, God's now going to use for his purposes. See, that's what God does in redemption. That's why redemption is such a powerful thing. And so everything that Saul had leading to this moment, God redeems. And now what we'll read in just a minute is that when Saul redeemed by Jesus, stands up in a synagogue, people are blown away by the power of his message. And the Old Testament scriptures that he was steeped in, that he bathed in from a child, were now being used to tell people about the Messiah. Paul's personality, all of Paul's gifts, Everything that Paul was, is as a person, is transformed. That's what God does in our lives. That's what God wants to do in your life. Your gifts, your personality, all the talent that you have, God transforms all that and uses it for his purpose. And I can't wait to see what God wants to do in some of your lives 
I am anticipating and expecting that that person that I have in my mind, that person that you might have in your mind that is far from Jesus, when they give their lives to Christ, look out. They're going to be on fire for him. Because God takes everything that was used against him, whether they realized it or not, he takes everything that we are, redeems it and transforms it, and uses it for his purposes. Some of you are that living story. I've talked to some of you about that. Some of you I can't wait to see. When you give all of it to God, what he's going to do in your life and transforms you, your personality, your talents, your gifts for his purposes. Imagine what would happen, what it would look like for that person who is far from Christ to give their life to Jesus. Imagine the message it's going to send to the people that they're around. Imagine the fire that begins to stir in their heart, in their stomach, and their desire for other people to know Jesus. I am anticipating God to do that. I believe God wants to do it. He loves doing it. And the reason I know he wants to do it is because he's the one pursuing all these lost people. He's the one who pursued Paul. When Saul was on that road to Damascus, it was not to follow Jesus. It was going in the exact opposite direction. But Jesus met him there because he was pursuing Jesus. Because Jesus was pursuing, pursuing him, I'm sorry. And when he met Jesus, his rebellion to God was transformed. Just read the rest of the New Testament. Look at this guy. Look what God did in his life. This is just what God does. Imagine if he did that in our lives. And that's what I prayed for when God changed my life, when he turned things around in my life, that I would be used for him, for his purposes. Whatever talent I had, whatever treasure I owned, that my time would be used for him. And some of you have told me that same thing, that God has done such a work in your life that you just want to be used by him. Imagine if all of us said that. If we said, God, all of it's yours, my time, my talent, my treasure, all of it, my personality, my gifts, he'd turn the world upside down. He did it with Paul. And he's continuing, continually doing it with regular people. It says in verse 19, after taking some food, this is Saul, he regained his strength. And, and uh, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Wow, that's amazing. What I didn't read for you is how that process happened. And it happened because one unsuspecting follower of Jesus was, being, was willing to be used by God to go to Saul, pray for him, and when he prayed for him, his name's Ananias, those scales fell off of Saul's eyes. He wasn't blind anymore. 
and he was actually seeing for real for the first time. And right away, his story in verse 20, he got up and he went into those synagogues and he started preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. Now that took Ananias, some, I mean, you'd probably maybe skip over his name sometimes in this story. He's not brought up quite as much in the story about Saul. But that happened because this follower of Jesus, just a regular guy, Ananias, was willing to obey God. Ananias uh, had a vision, and in that vision, God says to him, I need you to go to this place in Damascus and pray for Saul. And Ananias, a regular dude, just like all of us, says, are you sure, God? You want me to go see who and say what? Well, that's not what he said, but that's basically what he meant. That's what I love about the scripture. These are regular people. Ananias said, I've heard all the stories about this guy. He loves putting people like me in prison. In fact, I've heard the story about Stephen. And he loved watching Stephen get killed. And you want me to go talk to him now? And God says, look, I'm going to do a work in his life that's going to blow your mind. Uh, that's Again, that's not uh, the scripture. I'm paraphrasing here. And Alan, Ananias was hesitant, but then he went. He prayed over Saul. The scales fell off Saul's eyes, and he came alive for the first time. Jesus transformed his life, and now because Ananias went, see, it wasn't just the work that Jesus was doing in Saul's life. He was doing something in Ananias' life. He was doing something in the church's life as a whole to show them the power of God. And Ananias got to see it firsthand. Imagine if he would have said no. I'm too scared, God. There's no way that dude's going to come to Jesus. But he says yes. Paul gets up and he starts preaching in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call him this name? Wasn't he the guy with Stephen while they stoned him? We've heard stories about him. And hasn't he come here to Damascus, that's where he is, to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Like his whole purpose in coming here? The synagogues are probably getting excited. All right, we're going to stop this movement in our town too. And this Saul guy, he's going to come and do it for us. And now he's standing up in front of him and talking about Jesus being the Son of God. As Saul did this, used all that he was, God redeemed it, transformed it, and used it for his purposes. He grew more and more powerful, and it baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving from the Old Testament scriptures that he grew up in that Jesus is the Messiah. This is what God does with our rebellion to him. Whether it's as bad as Saul or not as bad as Saul, he takes who we are, our gifts, our talents, our personalities, everything we have, and he can transform it for his purposes. That's what God wants to do in your life. When this service is over, we're going to have our new members class. The people joining Grace Church. And I'm going to say something similar. 
that here at Grace Church, God wants to use you. What gifts do you have? What abilities do you have? Because God wants to transform you for his purposes. And when we live sold out for him, he's going to do some crazy stuff. I'm anticipating God doing that. He is not done. I'm expecting to God to do that in our midst. During your lifetime here at this church. That's my expectation. I'm praying that for you too. And sometimes that takes those Ananiases or those Barnabases who we read about in here as well to hear God and go to that person and say, God wants to use you. Because sometimes when we give our lives to Jesus, the very people that thought we were a superstar, like those people in the synagogue, verse 23, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him, to kill Saul. But Saul learned of their plan, and day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. These were the people that were excited about Saul coming to their town because he was the superstar. And just because he gives his life to Jesus, now they're plotting to take his life. In fact, they gotta, they got to sneak him out of the city just so that he doesn't die. Sometimes that's tough. Saul's journey is going to be tough. God has built into this thing we call Christianity. The Ananiases and the Barnabases we need in our life. Just like Ananias was kind of like, you want me to talk to who, God? The disciples, the people there were afraid of Saul. They're like, oh yeah, that's great that God can do that, but don't bring him here to, to our group, to our gathering. And we get that story in verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. Saul's like, yes, I'm on fire for Jesus. I'm going back to Jerusalem where the superstars are, Peter and John and those guys, and I'm going to be a part of what they're doing. Except they didn't want him to come. They were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Like, again, who, do you have that name in your head, that picture? That person's never going to come to Jesus. That's what these guys are saying about Saul. He's not really a disciple. Are you, are you kidding? We saw what he did. But I like verse 27. There was somebody in the church, his name was Barnabas, who knew the power of God. He's like, the God that raised Jesus from the dead can raise that man from the dead too. And God can use that man because that's the power that Jesus has to transform somebody's life. And he takes Saul to the disciples and he told them how Saul in his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And so Saul, and so Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. That's his story in a nutshell. No sin is too great. No sinner too far gone from the reach of God's redemptive power and the transforming work and setting Saul apart for himself and setting Ted apart for himself and setting Scott apart for himself 
instead in setting Janelle apart for himself. This is what Jesus does. This is what he is the business of doing. Who's that name that you have that you don't think will ever come to Christ? This is an answer to that. Don't think that way. There is no sin too great, no sinner too far gone from the reach of Jesus. The power of God made a dead man live again. And he's been making dead men and women live over and over and over again. We are a part of that ministry. God wants to use you. Be that Ananias. Be that Barnabas in someone else's life. And if you think your sin is too great, read Saul's story. If you think you are too far gone, too lost, read Saul's story. He is still making dead people live again, making scales fall off their eyes. Saul's story is a reminder of what God is in the business of doing. And I can't wait to see when God does it in your life and when God does it in that person. That person that's not even sitting in this room yet, but they're going to one day, and they're going to be on fire for Jesus. I am expecting and anticipating that to happen because of the God that we serve. No sin is too great. No sinner too far gone from the reach of God's redemptive power and transforming work and setting a people, that person in your mind, setting him or her apart for himself. Let's pray. God, what an amazing story about Saul. God, the transforming power that this is just who you are and you love doing it. And you have been making dead men and women live over and over again through the saving work of Jesus Christ. And now sometimes, God, you call us to be that Ananias. Are you serious, Lord? You want me to go talk to that person? Yes. Maybe it's that Barnabas, that person that just needs to get connected to a church, to a body of believers, Lord. Sometimes it's tough out there when you give your life to Christ, when you surrender it all. And the very best friends you thought they had, you had, suddenly they become your enemies. God, you've built into this thing we call Christianity brothers and sisters, a family that we get to call our own. God, today as we close this morning, I, I do pray. I've got that image. I've got that name in my head. Lord, I pray that he would come to Jesus. That he would give his life to Christ. He is not too far gone. His sin is not too great that Jesus can't redeem. And I pray that for each person here. God, help us never to lose sight that Jesus is still making dead men and women live again. And we pray this in his name. Amen.